Blog Talk Radio. Stop it all for for money. 
another um, Super Bowl with no Super Bowl party for me because I'm not interested in these two teams playing for the Super Bowl. Of no yeah, interest to me at all. Really? Exactly. You know, I'm sorry, but Peyton Manning still looks like a goober. He may be a great athlete, but he's still a goober. Yeah. I mean, this only means for him. How many com- how many commercials will we see of him eating Doritos or whatever else it is? Boy, <laughs> talk about pandering yourself. I'm going I mean, to Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brady wears, you know, everybody teases him because he wears, he does what, one boot commercial or something or, you know, oh, endorses yeah. boots. And, and uh, Manning will put anything in front of him and he'll eat it for money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Doyle. Yeah, Pennzoil, whatever it is. Put a can, put a, a can or, or anything in front of him. He'll pick it up for money. You know, we'll talk about uh, in the, whatever. In the, in hey, the Tommy, this morning up here. Before, before you get, we get you hired, it is early in the show. We don't want to hear it. If you have a story, if it takes all 25 minutes that are left, go for it. You find, you know, we've built Uh-oh, this damn first... story up so, so much, it's going to really be terrible if no one cares for it. It's true, though. It's true. I'm going to finally okay, well, tell you the story. This is the story that caused all the problems. A couple months back, I was coming home from Vegas. And I usually go straight through. I don't usually take these planes that stop here and there. Only because it just I never make the second plane or something happens. And it's a pain in the neck getting on enough planes these days. And people with their carry-on luggage now they used to take a briefcase. Now they take a... Uh, half their household furniture with them and get away with it while I'm paying 50 bucks extra for a bag. But we get diverted to uh, Denver, Colorado, where we're going to have a quick stop. No problem. Of course, our plane's late, so we rush uh, to uh, go through everything. We have to go through and go to the next gate to catch the plane that goes from Denver back to uh, uh, actually going to New York City then. And uh, as fast as we could, we get through it. We actually run to the gate. Uh, we get about two seconds, and we get to the gate. And, you know, these gates are, there's a big window there in the door, and you expect to see a plane there, and they're ready to board. Nothing's there. Nothing's there. And I said, oh, I know what this means. You know, it's going to be delayed. So we, we ran all this way for nothing, of course, which, which everyone does. But this plane, obviously, is going to be there. And I no sooner thought that and looked up on the uh, on the teleprompter, and it said delayed like two hours. Uh, because of some storm in, in Colorado. And, uh, so I sit down, and, uh, uh, you know, you're kind of in no man's land when you're on these gates because you can't walk around the airport because you really haven't landed. So, so they, they give you the security area you can't get out of. I knew that because we had a quick bite to eat, and they, we didn't even, they didn't even give you uh, metal utensils. Everything was plastic. Uh, but it's, that's the way your flying is these days. But I had to go. I had to go. Nature was calling and uh, I stole over to uh, uh, this men's room, which is about the size of a small hotel. It was the biggest men's room I ever saw. It was huge. It was three rooms. One room had <laughs> must have had 40 stalls in it, and it was all mosaic. This place must have been brand new, this part of the terminal. It was magnificent. It just was all these stalls. The other room was full of sinks, and the other room was kind of a, I don't know what it was, a changing room or something. And uh, I'm not big on public restrooms. I've had problems in there before. But I had to go, and I 
couldn't imagine sitting on a plane for another few hours to get back to New York City. So I decided to chance it. Plus, it was empty. It was huge and empty. So I go in and uh, get my favorite stall. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had this problem. This has happened to me before. I was about to go on stage once. And I went to the local uh, men's room, and I had to go. And I went, and uh, I pulled my drawers back up. And lo and behold, they were soaking wet because I hadn't checked the floor out. This oh, happens yeah, to men. A lot of yeah. women don't know this. But this is a horrible feeling. I mean, most of the time, you can take care of it quickly. But So now whenever I go to a men's room, I, I check it like crazy. I mean, just make sure. So I go in in this beautiful bathroom. There's nobody there. It's spotless. And uh, I take care of business, and I get up, and I checked, checked. I mean, I, I all but got on my hands and knees and felt around and made sure there was nothing on the floor that wasn't supposed to be there, and it was fine. And I get up and, uh, and uh, readjust my uh, clothing, and I'm about halfway out of the place, and I feel a little damp. And then I walked a few more feet, and I was soaked. And I said, oh, my God, it, it happened again. I've got like three and a half or four hours on a plane. What am I going to do? So I just sit it out on the plane and hope for the best. Or, or you know, is, is it going to start getting hot and change odors? And it's just I can't possibly do this. So I've got to do something about it. I don't know what to do. Certainly I'm not going to take my drawers off and try to wash them in this place. I mean, we're in Denver. Everyone's wearing cowboy hats, which frightened me to death as it was. So I don't know what to do. I'm looking around. I go into the room that had all the faucets in it, and they all, you know, they don't have they don't have little little valves you can turn on and off anymore. Everything's, you know, this kind of uh, you run your hand over the top of it to get the water running. These little electronic things, oh. electronic eyes, and you oh. break the beam, and the water yep, comes yep, on. Yep. So I'm doing that, and. Uh, I mean, the water comes on for two seconds. I mean, what am I going to do? It just, it just, it's not doing the trick. So I said, I got it at least, you know, it's always been my, uh, my, my uh, theme song here is dilution is the solution. I'm not even sure if what I have on me is water or, or worse. So I'm assuming the worst, but uh, dilution is always the solution. So I thought I'd wet it down a wee bit and it'd be fine. But I couldn't, I really couldn't do it the way these faucets worked. So I'm looking around, and I spot down the end a really low, low sink. It was a handicap sink. Well, yes. it was the it was the perfect height for me to bend over and put my ass in it. And I said, "This is a godsend. <laughs> this would be perfect." So I did. The, and, and but here's the problem: you have to break the beam to put the water in, uh, to get the water to run. Oh, yes. You can't just turn yeah. it on. Now, I'm sitting in this little tiny sink, and I'm a pretty big guy, and it sinks kind of low, and I'm sitting there with all my clothes on, and the only way I can get that water to turn on is to reach between my legs about every two seconds, jam my hand between my legs. So imagine what this looks like. So I'm doing this, and psh, the water would come on for two seconds, shut off, and I'm jamming my hand, jamming my hand. The water would come on for two seconds, shut off. And, of course, the place is empty, but as soon as I start doing this, I look up, and a guy walks in the door, and he sees me with my hand you know, rapidly going down between my legs, down between my legs. He just looks at me wide-eyed, and he turns around, and he walks out. He doesn't even stay. God knows what he had to do. So I figure this guy's on his way to security. So i got to do something quick. 
So I get up, and now I'm I'm soaking wet. Uh, plus, they put on too much water. This guy scares the hell out of me. But as well, I can do something here. Still, I am not going to take my pants off for anything. So I get this idea. What I'll do is I'll, like, bend over and touch my toes a few times and my ass pushing against my pants. This is a brilliant idea. Would push out all this extra water. I don't know. This is, you know, you get these brain farts now and then. So I'm standing up, and I'm going up and down uh, like I'm touching my toes. And once I get down, I'm really stretching it. So this time, my, my rear end's facing the door, but thank God nobody comes in because I'm just going up and down and pushing my ass out and pushing my ass out. And uh, it was really stupid because I wasn't the one doing anything other than the water was now running down my leg. And uh, finally, there's got to be another way. Well... You know, there's a whole wall of those those dryers, those those air hot air dryers, and uh, yes, you know right. you push them with your hand, and and they just blow that hot air. So uh, mm-hmm. I said, so I try one, and it's just it's just too high up. You know, I can't bend over and do this. It'll take me two days to dry these pants out. But lo and behold, they had a uh, handicap sink. They had a handicap dryer, just the right height. <laughs> So, so, so I put that one and I'm bent over again only I'm moving my rear end back and forth like I'm doing the samba because I'm trying to cover the whole area so I'm down and, and of course your arms are moving too so it looks like I'm bent over and I'm kind of either doing a limbo or dancing and the door opens again another cowboy had a guy this guy just looks at me and he laughs and he just doesn't, doesn't bother him at all and he just goes and takes care of business and I'm just going back and forth, and I'm doing the old samba. Uh, and he comes out and back, and he says, hey, uh, you know, good luck. And he walks out. <laughs> so I'm there about half an hour, and uh, I'm just starting to dry out. And uh, I'm still under there. And a third guy comes in. This guy just peeks in, and he just said, you know, you really shouldn't do that kind of stuff here. And he runs out, and I see the cops are coming for sure. So I just pull up my drawers. They were still damp, but I felt more comfortable and ran out. And uh, and I ran to a guy sitting there at the gate because now the plane's there. And he looked like a nice guy, and uh, he had overalls on. You don't see that many guys flying with overalls. And you know, he's a country type. And and I was trying to explain the story to him, and he starts telling me about Jesus. And I didn't know quite what they had to do with my wet pants. But apparently uh, Jesus would have dried my pants if I'd asked him to or something. But it was the worst flight home I ever had. I was still damp. By the time I get in in New York City, I was, you know, I was, I needed a lot of talcum powder, you know. So that's my story. I, I gave you the short version. But you had to be there. You can't squeeze out your pants no, by got... bending over. <laughs> You know, Tom, you really shouldn't what? do that when you're in there. <laughs> well, you know, what bothered me the most was sitting on the little sink with my hand going between my legs uh, to, to, you know, to keep the water running. That looked really bad, and I knew it. And I think I really scared that guy. And uh, maybe thought I was a congressman or something, you know. Could very well be. <laughs> That was the short version of that story, but uh, it's it's, it's, that 
I swear to God, that's a, that's an absolute truth. I didn't I didn't embellish that story one bit. That was just so bizarre and so uncomfortable. Uh, that's great. I was in. I, I was once in missed Russia. a, uh, a very important meeting on a very similar kind of uh, a circumstance. I don't know. It just happens to me. How do women do this? It never oh, no, happens was, to them. I, I've never heard. Or at least they don't tell the story. And it's not knowing what it was. Uh, I mean, it, it couldn't have been. It could have been a, a leaky pipe or something. But in the uh, at that particular room, the chances of that were were, were pretty slim. I just who knows? Who knows? But uh, knows. women have a way of going I without touching the uh, feet, uh, without dropping their drawers. I mean. I can't do that. Maybe if I had some training from some circus contortionist, I could do that. But but now I just uh, don't go anymore. And as long as it's uh, the flight is nine hours or less, I'm usually okay. We'll be back. We'll be back in about ten minutes. Go ahead. You got it. Frank and I are going out for coffee. <laughs> I've been trying to say... I was in Russia. I was in St. Petersburg, and uh, I know my Russian isn't fluent, but it's certainly conversational, and a good thing because the poor guy beside me starts banging on the door. There's only two of us in this um, restroom, and and I'm like, oh my God, here it is. It's the KGB. They followed me into the men's, and this is where I get <clears throat> taken out. And thank God I heard the word bumaga. Which what does is that mean? the Russian word for paper. Paper. <laughs> <laughs> the poor guy was out of paper. <laughs> now, what no if I didn't know the word? Death. Yeah, what if I didn't know the word? <laughs> and you said um, to him, it's quarter of three. <laughs> yeah. What else yeah. is going on? So, how's the, uh, hey, how's the lemon plant, by the way? The lemon tree, uh, does, the lights are out. I don't know. Do, do we have uh -oh. paper whites that have far surpassed? Paper whites have far surpassed the uh, the fruit of the. Oh, the garden's lemon expanding. Tree. I thought it was just strictly a grove of lemon tree. No, no, this is. Uh, this is a, the for, for the holidays. Paper white showed up, and they they are magnificent. Ah. They, they they took you know those are like those you know those what they have those gorillas used to drop in the water. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, better than a chia pet. These paper whites, these things freaking took off. And uh, but no, the plant looks terrible, really terrible. I think it, it looks like uh, it looks like trees in, in, it looks like it's fallen here. You know, the, I mean, autumn, uh, not doing well. Well, you were saying that, Tommy, you had a few things to say about the lemon tree, the fact that... I called uh, Frank. You know, I it, called Frank it, this week and, and disguised my voice, which is difficult for me, and told him I was from the Massachusetts Department of Agriculture, and he'd imported an illegal citrus fruit, and that the uh, agricultural police had his building surrounded. He didn't get a kick out of that. I called him a few hours later and, and said that I was from the uh, uh, South Boston Optimist Club, more specifically the Glasses Half Full chapter, and that we had heard his story about the lemon tree on, on the show, and uh, 
We just want him to make sure if and when he did get a lemon on that tree, no matter how small, that he should go ahead and make lemonade with it. I thought that was pretty deep. Uh, Thank and appreciate that, Machida. All the more reason to encourage this lemon tree even more to produce fruit. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it might you know, be a whole new business for Frank, you know, this summer. Maybe you can open up a lemonade stand out in front of the uh, condo, the studio condo. Yeah. There we go. Hey, you know, I was maybe, talking you know, to... Uh, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got a tagline for that. Locally oh, grown. Oh, I'm ready, yeah. You know, from from the uh, 955 farm, the, the, the Loomis, yeah. the Loomis uh, Jackman farm, and, they, and Frank and I, they can get, we can dress them up to look like American Gothic out there. Oh, that'd be cool. But nobody gets to see it. You know what I'm talking about, Tommy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Frank yeah. and Emily on the, on the sidewalk in South Bronx doing American Gothic with one lemon for sale. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we're talking about, we could get a lot of money for that. I mean, we're not we're talking, talking yeah. an ordinary lemon. And then we, no, no, no. And then the other thing is we can... Go up to start and shop and buy, like, a couple of dozen lemons to sell them. It's be the Jackman family farm. Yeah, you could have your own, like, South Boston uh, farmer's market. You could sell your one lemon and, uh... Yeah. Some olives, some martinis you had the night before. Listen, Frank has got an, uh, an affection for root beer lately. And I'm looking at uh, a box, B-A-R-Q-S. I want a real weird name. Oh, anyway, Bach. root beer. That's famous. Yeah, That's Bach. a classic, uh, tasty, uh, primo, primo root beer. Root beer. You know, Frank, he only buys the best, you know. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's, it's, it's good since 1898. Now, uh, but the, the thing that brings my attention, they have actual barrels. That's kind of their logo, barrels of root beer, which reminds me of uh, the uh, when we were kids. We were talking a lot of time about candies when we were kids. And the root beer barrel. You remember root beer those? barrel, sure, I remember those. Yeah. You know, you know, I don't, again, I don't think we see root beer. But poor kids today, what they're missing. But um, My I, dad, we're reading a book. I recommend it. Me? You're talking to me? We lose you. No, yeah, actually, that me? My dad, when yeah, we were a kid, you. you know, a city kid, when I was really small, decided that uh, we would have this great experience of making homemade root beer. God knows why. I never liked root beer. I never drank it. My father must have saw something on television, or maybe he was, uh, I don't know, nostalgic or something. She goes out and buys all this equipment. You need, you know, big pans and pots and ingredients, and uh, you need to cook this stuff, and you need to put bottles and caps have to be cleaned and everything. Made the kitchen such a mess. It was unbelievable. My mother was furious. Uh, We made about, I don't know, you can't make two bottles of this stuff. When you make it at home, you have to make gallons and gallons and we did it, and it took all day, and I'd lost interest after the first five minutes, let alone the next four or five hours. Uh, and, but he he's, couldn't be happier. And uh, the fun part was putting the bottle caps on and, and sealing them, and then they had to sit for a while, and he put them under the sink in the bathroom, I remember, 
because the next day I'm sitting in the bathroom. I got a lot of bathroom stories today, and I'm hearing some, you know, which could mean a leaky pipe or something, but then boom, 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 boom. These bottles are exploding like small grenades. I'm terrified. I ran out with my pants down screaming. And of course, my mother's screaming even louder because her bathroom is being destroyed. And it was the last time Dad decided it would be cool to make uh, root beer with his kid. He thought that would be just the best thing. So I don't even know what it tasted like because it was all full of glass. And... But the caps that I put on stayed. They stayed. The caps didn't blow off. The bottles exploded. So I learned a valuable lesson. And we were left for the rest of my it's childhood true. with about 5,000 bottle caps because you can't buy those in ones or twos. You have to buy like a, a case of 10,000 or something like that. Yeah, but I remember I think, that uh, uh, we uh, all very went, well. I think we all went through that stage. You know, so all of a sudden we were going to be brewmasters. But I think, yeah, my father did that. That would be a great project to uh, yeah. do as kids. But I grew up and tried it with beer. It was even we, worse. Well, well, that's what I was going to say. When we got to, um, remember the big wine-making thing everybody was doing in the 70s? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, in fact, there were whole stores dedicated to wine-making su- supply. Everybody in the country was making their own. Like, we were going to go through another uh, prohibition or something. Yeah. I don't, you know, I did, I did try it, but, you know, wine takes so long. You have to let it age and everything. Uh, I made a bunch of it. Not a bunch. Wine was something you could do in smaller batches. I made four or five bottles. I waited a week and tested it, and it was just uh, it was just awful. So I bought a quart of brandy and emptied out half the wine in each one and filled it with brandy and uh, put the corks back in and let it stay about a day and a half. And, boy, that was the best wine you ever had. You didn't serve it in wine glasses. You served it in shot glasses. But it was delicious, a perfect vintage. You well, know? you know, you would have never... Wednesday. When did you, you make this? Never I made, made it on Wednesday. <laughs> well, you would have never made it as a, as a Trappist monk. Um, no, you know, no, no, no. Those guys waited 100 years. Yeah. yeah, that's way too long. That's way too long. Yeah, yeah. For, 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 uh, for, brother, for brother, uh, brother Tommy... Yeah, one week, two days. <laughs> yeah. Vintage Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I compared yeah, this to your crazy. vintage of last Friday. Friday was a good day for wine. Last... Yeah. yeah, yeah, last Friday, good day. Friday afternoon, actually. Uh, well, the other thing, I, I recommended a book to you, uh, The War of Art. And uh, I love the book, as you know, I raved about it, and uh, followed up, he's such a great author, Stephen Pressling, and, and there you go, Stephen, I gave you another plug, but uh, I got his follow-up book, how he actually went through the process of writing Bagger Vance, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, Yeah, yeah. and yeah, uh, yeah. in the book, in the book, he's talking about being a caddy in Westchester County, and uh, they had a, if you remember this, remember the coolers? for the uh, sodas, so, so we're talking about root beer, but they were upright, they were, they were not upright coolers, they were cooler coolers, in other words, they yeah. were, you had to reopen, right, go ahead, Tommy, describe yeah, one. Box. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was a yeah, box, and you them. slid the top back. Yeah. What do you mean, still use them? They're not around anymore. Not the commercial. I'm talking about yeah, the commercial are. ones. Well, yeah, commercial no, no, ones. No, no, no. You went around. in. Oh. No, no, no. This. No, 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 no. This. No, no. This is. Oh, there we go. Some referee stepping in here. No, this is the one you opened the top. This was a commercial one. You had to put a dime in to open it. And then. Oh, I know. Okay, I know what you mean. Yeah, I then, know. That's all, yeah. Those sometimes had oh yeah. ice in them. Well, they had, but I the tops mean, uh, were locked. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you had to put a coin in, and that would release the lock, and you could pull the the uh, one up. Remember? Remember those? Yeah, right. absolutely. And yeah. um, that was before the, the horizontal ones where, you, you yeah. know, all the bottles yeah. were laying, you know, uh, parallel to the ground. These were perpendicular yeah. to the ground. Yeah, they were much well, colder too. Exactly. Oh yeah, those. That was the best. You know, and that yeah, was fun. Trying to use your muscles to pull that, uh, and, and 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 try as you might, you always. I don't know what we thought we were Hercules or something to try to pull them through without putting the money in. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. in the book. What I thought was fascinating about the book is he says that that cooler had been in the Caddyshack for years. And he said, then some kid got the right idea. <laughs> they went in, and all of the tops had been removed, and there were a bunch of straws. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody had figured out how to suck. <laughs> somebody <laughs> always figures it. Somebody <laughs> always figures it out. I remember how to beat the old. They said uh, the next. Yeah, they said the next day there was an upright cooler in the caddy shack. <laughs> Isn't that great. That's, yeah, that's a little surprise. The same. Yeah, and I met with a couple of educators this week. Uh, Go ahead. Some uh, very uh, experienced educators. A uh, couple guys I know used to teach uh, teach dealers in Vegas for about 25 years. But uh, I got together with them because I was starting to uh, think about putting together the uh, the uh, Tommy Dakota School of Total Charisma. It's something I'm just working on, so I don't get much on it. Just uh, but this this would be good for this would be good for uh, entertainers certainly. Uh, be good for politicians and. Uh, It'd be good for those uh, people who walk into a room and nobody even knows they're there. You know, these kind of nebbish people who just disappear into the paint. And, uh, yeah, you I, you know, I'm trying to do this in both the East and the West Coast. Uh, both coasts will have a... Uh, uh, this is serious business here. There's lots of lots of uh, stuff. There's courses Huge like, money, uh, yeah. you know, how to enter a room. Big stuff. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, how to always be in you know, a... Uh, um, well, you know, the greats always had Sinatra and uh, certainly Elvis and even Bobby Darren, if you ever watch Beyond the Sea, which, again, is one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, you always had to have an entourage. Yeah. And some people have that, that charisma and some to... people don't. And I'm saying I can give it to you. Some people walk into a room yeah, of star of all... And everyone just stops and turns yeah. around because they can feel this person entering the room. 
So yep. I can teach this. Yep. I, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to teach well, it. Uh, you, you should. Yeah, how to appear. You thought, oh, this you, is a you good course. With book. Yeah. How to appear with taller book as than well, you actually Tommy? are. It's one of the courses. Uh, <laughs> uh, developing a personal look. You know, like uh, like uh, Tiny yeah. Tim or like Marty Feldman. You know, this personal stuff. One of my favorites. Uh, how much plastic surgery is really too much? I mean, that's a that's a graduate level course. It's a, you know, uh, or, you know. Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers will teach that because uh, you know she has any more. This woman hasn't been able to stop smiling in about twenty five years because because she can't. Yeah, subtle is not the word there, for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and there's others well, who end up great. looking like well, cats. Yeah, well, I think that if there's any listeners out there, I, I think they've probably put this, if they were ranking, this is number 28, by the way. Is it really? 28. You know, what are we going to do when oh. we hit the 50 mark? We'll have to have a celebration. <laughs> Give ourselves a big hand for... 28 of these things. Absolutely incredible. 28. Thank you. Thank you. And some of them were actually really good. Yeah, well, exactly. A couple of, yeah, they, I still think that the fact that we've posted to YouTube the Buck Buck story will go oh, down. Yeah. So yeah. Sooner or later, that will go viral. That, was, that is by far a classic. And, um, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy, that. I enjoy all these shows. I enjoy talking to you guys. It's always good. I know Frank well, is uh, not well, feeling uh, up to uh, his usual snuff. Are you feeling better today, no, there, Frank? Quiet today. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm, I'm just taking in the the wisdom and the and the humor of you two guys. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. And there you have it. That's just an issue. I want to tell. I, I'm looking. Evidently, the uh, the cohabitor of the studio has bought a box of John Frieda hair pro, uh, hair products. And um, I thought you said hand. I want to tell. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's hair products or hand puppets. Hair hair products, yes. Oh. John Frieda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 I want to tell a five-minute story about John Frieda. I have no idea who he is. Do you know who he is? Yeah. No, I John don't. John Frieda. All right. John Frieda is a, has been an international hairstylist for about forty years, at least. He did. He was big during the big um, the British invasion. Oh yeah. And he did all of the. Started Elton John, and he did Mick Jagger oh, yeah. and the Beatles, et cetera. Uh, um, and, uh, uh, God, I'm thinking of the guitarist, um, the greatest Eric guitarist. Clapton. In the, Eric Clapton. All these people. So the story goes that um, one of the people that were working for me, a salesperson, was working for me at my previous life. His wife was working for Revlon. She had done a marketing major in college. and they, She and her girlfriend were working for Revlon, et cetera. Decided they had enough of the corporate world. They're going to venture out on their own, start their own advertising marketing company. The gal that she was going to do this was, was a workaholic to the 10th power. 
with, uh, whether she had the flu or not, she always comes to work. Well, they get their last assignment with Revlon is to go to Italy. And the girlfriend, not, not my buddy's wife, the girlfriend is scheduled to spend the week with John Frieda in, in uh, Milan. Well, all of a sudden, this gal who had been a workaholic, never missed a day or an hour of work in her life, gets this phobia about flying. Now, she had flown all over the world for Revlon. But this particular flight, she can't get on. So she uh, panics, and now she's, it's an upcoming, and it's vitally important because she's going to work with international hairstylist John Frieda. The... Uh, so she starts going to hypnotist. She goes to a doctor for a Valium. She does everything she can. She's having nightmares about the flight. They get to the airport. They ha- they hand. This is an absolutely freaky, amazing story. They get to the airport. The, the, she starts drinking on top of the Valium, trying to calm oh, down. Nothing Has like checked it. her bag. Checked her baggage. Gets to the gate. Falls on the floor, screaming and crying panicked, can't get on the flight. The girlfriend, my buddy's wife, has no choice but to grab the bag with all of the data that has to go to John Frieda in Milan, gets on the plane by herself, and works with John Frieda for the week. In the meantime, she doesn't know that Frieda is going bankrupt. All of his studios, all of his salons are losing money. And he can't, doesn't have enough money to pay his stylists. She came up with the idea when they, she knew that he was going to be there to have him write a book, get a book deal, and then that would provide him with the, an advance to get him out of trouble. But she doesn't even know that he's in trouble. Yeah. She mentions this to Frida. Frida does it. She bails him out. A month later, Frida comes to her and says, I've always wanted a business partner. I have an idea. Now, the first product was a product called Frizzies. Frizzies took the frizzies out of your hair. That you know, well, let me worry about this. They get after a shower and they get. So this product, and he, so he had it developed and it worked, and it hit the market. And so the two of them together started out going door to door selling frizzies. It finally caught on. They were doing a modicum amount of business. Now, I watched this woman through my buddy, you know, and asked him, how's she doing? With-? Now, in the meantime, they're, they're hobnobbing it with the Rolling Stones and Clapton and Elton John, et cetera. And um, so she's going, all of a sudden, uh, Gail is her name. Gail goes from a common, ordinary folk like all of us to worth about two to three million dollars. And as the years goes in, well, now she's worth about ten. Make a long story short, after twenty years in the business with John Frieda, living in England, living in London, he was living here in the states, bringing the kids up, and every once in a while, then the kids went over to live there, and they were all over England as this, and even America. It was a worldwide product. After. 20 years, the Japanese decides, the big Japanese hairstyling decides they want to buy out. They had been offered money from time to time, and they refused to sell out because they were having so much fun. Well, the Japanese came in and offered them $500 million to buy the company. Okay? 
Now, th- now th- remember, she, this would not have happened if the gal had gotten on the plane. <laughs> it's kismet. It's fate. Well, it's she said, in her own words, she says, in her, exactly. She said in, in her own terms, this was destined. She says there was a force keeping that woman off the plane. To make a long story short, this is the best part. They're in, they decide to do it. They said that for 500 million, we, we have to do something. <laughs> so she, now she's worth $250 million. She's okay. Single? They get to the signing. They're still, they're still agonizing over selling their baby because they look at this company as their baby. They get to one in middle of Manhattan in one of these cavernous rooms with a long table. And the only reason this room exists in one of these high-powered, uh, you know, legal corporate uh, legal firms is to sign deals like this. Okay, yeah. you know, big mergers, big sales, whatever. They're sitting in there, and they again they don't want to sell. <laughs> the, they, they pass the paper to them to sign for the uh, for the transition of all the ownership, and they said, "Okay, it's you'll receive four hundred and ninety nine million dollars." And they said, "Wait a minute, what, if the deal was for five hundred. Yeah, but there's a million dollars in transaction fees to drop up the papers." So she and her part, she she and Frida. Look, <laughs> say to the entire room, and they're all sitting there waiting with big smiles for the big sign. It's just, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> this was not working. And the lawyers and the Japanese, but it's $499 million. Yes, but you said $500. You're going to blow. Four hundred and ninety-nine million dollars for a million. Yup. <laughs> she said the poor Japanese guy was sweating. He has to get up in the middle of this and call Tokyo. And it's like four o'clock in the morning in Tokyo <laughs> to get this another is what million. What happened just before Pearl Harbor? You know, same kind of deal. But go ahead. <laughs> The poor guy, after hours of begging and pleading with Tokyo, because Tokyo had drawn a hard line, I guess the whole negotiation took about eight hours, finally comes back with the million bucks. <laughs> so, you guys put it under the pressure to commit Harry Carey, you know, and, and if the deal didn't go through. And you only got about a minute or two here before we're going to be cut off. Exactly. So anyway, I wanted to tell it. It's a fabulous a story. story. So she went from zero story. to 250 mil by the, uh, by the simple handoff of a, of a, of a briefcase. So, uh, well, anyway, thanks, Tommy. It was a great show. Thank you, listeners, if you're still there or ever do listen. And uh, let's keep it going. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, Frankie, Hope you're feeling better there, Frankie Fabulous. Uh, thank you. So- Go ahead. Have a good day. Thank you. Well said. <laughs>